What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, everyone. Before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So, whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Uh, acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Again, that is bwhustle.com dot com slash join check out the description box for this episode to find more but that is bwhustle.com slash join chase thomas pod the chase thomas podcast um my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it all right we're back on the chase thomas podcast and i'm now joined by david woods who covers butler and the butler bulldogs a great dog, in my opinion. One of the better dogs in uh, college sports, in my opinion. Uh, blue, uh, Butler Blue. But, um, David, good morning, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. As you may know, uh, uh, Blue is the has uh, designated himself Mayor of March mm. because the entire NCAA basketball tournament is coming to his home city. So, so Blue is going to be uh, a presence around... Uh, uh, the tournament in, in Indianapolis uh, this month. How many blues have you been around? Do you know? Uh, well, I think, uh, I think one, two, three, and four. Okay. I, I think I've been around. Well, I, I've, co- I've covered the program since 2001. So, um, I, I guess I've been around for all the blues. Blue, blue two was, was, uh, I think the, the, uh, prototype though for everything. <laughs> he, somehow he seemed to, that dog seemed to realize that, uh, that it was his world and everyone else was just living in it. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, cause they're all different personalities and I'm sure they're all different, um, uh, and how they are with other people and campus and everything like that. They are, um, they are a little bit actually. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Um, so Butler, it's been a tough season. I'm, I want to figure out kind of what's happened with Butler this year, why it's kind of been a down year for coach Jordan's team. Um, they're ninth in the big East as of this recording, uh, what would you pinpoint as the biggest reason as to why Butler struggled this year? 
Well, I, I think the, the, the biggest reason is their, their talent uh, lacks experience and their experience lacks talent. Um, I, I think that's kind of the, I think that may be the, the best way to sum it up. Um, you know, they've, they've got some good young players. Uh, you know, their, their experienced guys aren't like overwhelmingly gifted by Big E standards. But then having said that, I mean, Butler really dismantled Villanova Sunday. And, you know, Butler rose as high as fifth in the polls last season, which probably most people don't even remember because mm-hmm. um, they had some injury issues and then and then had a kind of a midseason swoon. But really we're playing a lot better at the end. And I, and I actually think with Kamar Baldwin as a closer, I think Butler would have, would have made the Sweet 16. But they didn't get that chance. But uh, uh, I, I bring that up only to say, as good as that team was, uh, uh, Butler, that team rarely played as well as Butler did uh, Sunday against Villanova when they were when they were efficient both offensively and defensively and and uh, and maybe that was a bad game for Villanova I think it kind of was but uh, you know you you have to credit Butler for part of that. So, do you think it's just like a one year swoon this year with what uh, what this roster just had versus last year, or do you think this is something that Butler fans should be a little bit nervous about? Well, I, I'm probably a little bit less optimistic about next season than I had because, I mean, for so much of the time, it's like, well, this team you're seeing now is the same team that's going to be back. Now, is that is that good for Butler or, or is that bad? And, and I wrote a story recently It's with the not knowing who's going to come back. It is so crazy, Chase, that Butler uh, could have 17 players on scholarship next year and they could have as few as 10. I mean that 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 is really a strange one. Um, but I guess the seniors who come back don't count against your scholarship total, and none of them has really said who's coming back. I mean, um, Aaron Thompson might want to come back because he's kind of been banged up uh, and probably maybe unable to fulfill, fulfill his goals the last two seasons. Uh, you know, would Bryce Enzi come back? You know, or Jair Bolden? I mean, they're both fifth-year guys. You know, you want to hang around in college for a sixth year. Um, but but Butler's freshman class uh, is talented, although you know they lost Scooby Johnson and Jacoby Coles uh, both to injury. But the two freshman guards, I mean, I can't imagine a Power Six team has two freshman guards uh, as good as those two. But you know, most Power Six teams don't have to be starting two freshman guards as Butler does. So I and and Bo Hodges, I think will. Uh, I thought he might break out when he. Uh, entered the season later he finally got his eligibility um i think having to do with credit transfer or something like that but um you know he's been out a little bit so uh i think butler's roster does look good for next season and seasons beyond but it's still a little bit hard to know because you don't know who's coming back not only for butler but for other teams absolutely it's just gonna be weird and it's even weirder for college football um and just how that works with scholarships and who gets to play and who goes in the portal and who stays it's it's a mess it's going to take some time to to get over um you mentioned the villanova game on sunday uh what went right for villanova or for butler and why were they able to beat a really good villanova team well for some reason they have uh they have uh really clamped down um on on in three-point defense i mean they're you know Villanova is two for 27. And I mean, that that's gotta be fluky. I mean, you could play pretty good at defense. And I think Villanova missed probably a lot of shots that they normally make, 
But on the other hand, over the last four games, cumulatively, collectively, Butler has limited opponents to 16% shooting from the arc. Well, that is absolutely a winning number when, when, you're, when you're holding uh, opponents down. Now, Butler gave up some things at the rim, but against Villanova, I think that's a good trade-off. You know, make them make the occasional two and, and almost eliminate the three. I mean, you can beat Villanova doing that, and Butler did. Yeah, and uh, it was a much-needed win based on what this season has been for them. Um, covering Laval Jordan, what makes him different than previous Butler coaches that you've covered? Um, that's that's a good question. I, maybe he's uh, maybe he takes a more so-called holistic approach uh, than the other coaches did. Although I think the other coaches did too, and I think that's maybe maybe one of the most. I'm not even sure I've, I've written about it enough because it's just so you kind of take it for granted, you know, but Butler, I think has had six coaches in the two thousands, but Butler plays the, the same way it did. It does in 2021 as it did in 2001, which was my first year on the beat and which was Laval's last season uh, as a Butler player. And I, I just think that's amazing. You know, usually when, you know, when coaches change, you know, styles of play change, the culture changes, lots of things change. But Butler's style of play and culture has been largely the same for two decades. You know, the, the, the talent hasn't always been the same, but kind of the way they go about things has been. Um, and I, I cannot really think of, of another, um, at least, you know, uh, high-profile college program that you can say that about. Interesting. Um, do do you enjoy covering uh, Coach Jordan more than previous coaches, or was Brad like if you had to rank them based in terms of quotes and just personality and who who you enjoy talking with the most? Where does he rank? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know how to. I'm not sure quite how to answer. I, I had a even though we just even though I just covered him two seasons for I had a really good uh, relationship with Chris Holtman. Mm-hmm. Um, some Butler fans don't like him because he. Uh, he left for Ohio State, uh, but uh, on the other hand, I, I think Chris Holtman kept Butler's program afloat mm-hmm. at a time when, when it was when it was very vulnerable. Um, you know, I, I had a very good relationship with uh, with Brad Stevens, although I tell you, he, I I didn't get a lot of breaks from him in, in terms of like him, you know, telling me stuff or this or that off the <laughs> record. I you know, I got I got none of it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Laval, I think, is very. Uh, good to cover that he, you know, he's kind of even-handed i don't think he takes uh i don't think he thinks takes things personally um mm-hmm. the fact that he was an assistant coach at the big 10 of iowa and michigan has probably influenced him um but um uh, yeah i had a good relationship with todd licklider too I, I, the one the one year brandon miller was there i did not i did not cover the team that year so uh i had an okay relationship when he was a player and, uh, you know, I, I had a good relationship with that Mata also. So um, I, I really have no complaints on, in that department. Um, Butler is 1-8 and eight on the road this season. Is there any any reason? Is it just an outlier? Is it just a coincidence that they're 1-8 and eight on the road? Or is there something that you've noticed the way they played on the road that has just been a big detriment to them winning games on the road? Well, you know, you, it sounds like a cliche, but, you know, a lot of times, you know, they just haven't been tough enough on the road. Or if they were tough enough, they like they didn't have all the pieces. Like um, Butler played Villanova coming off a of COVID pause. And, and 
played decently for like a long time in that game, but but lost by a lot. So that you know that wasn't too surprising. And then uh, Butler played, I thought, really well at Seton Hall. He fell behind by 13 and caught it down by like two. So it's not like they completely collapsed uh, uh, on the road, but they but they have had some games where they have collapsed. And it's unfortunate that Butler closed the season at Creighton because I, I've been to Omaha to cover Butler several times. And and a combination of Creighton playing well and, and the Bulldogs losing their minds uh, when, when they crossed the Nebraska state line or something. But, they're, but they have just been awful in, in the games in Omaha. So I'll kind of be intrigued to see if Butler can make that competitive because that, that was a momentous upset um, when uh, Butler played Creighton uh, uh, earlier this season, and as as uh, you know, a couple of oddities about Butler's season. You know, as poor a season it's been, Butler's Hinkle Fieldhouse record in the Big East is its best in its eight years in the league. Butler was seven and three in Big East home games, and oddly had never been better than six and three all this time. Um, so that was their best. That's their best home record ever in the Big East. And there's there's only three teams in the league that have won 10 conference games, and that's Villanova, Creighton, and Seton Hall, and Butler beat all of them. Yeah. Um, weird season for Butler. Um, who would you say has been the Definitely. most important piece for Butler staying afloat this year, and who do you think you've been kind of like, man, I, I would have thought that this player would have been better or would have been more important to the team this year? I think the most important piece, uh, surprisingly, because you have to, you'd think Aaron Thompson, but the way it's gone, I think the most important piece is has been Bryce Enzi. Mm. Um, he's just been good uh, game after game um, he, as a rebounder, uh, leader, uh, defender, passer, scorer. Uh, I mean, he's done a lot of good things. Um, I, I would earlier I would have said I think. I thought Bryce Golden would have played better this season, but, but lately he has played better. Um, I guess I thought the way he's playing now is the way I thought he'd play all season, but I think he was dinged up earlier. And, you know, there, there's so many weird things about this season. I, I would really caution athletic administrators and, uh, and uh, fans from overreacting to anything this year. And that goes for, you know, Duke and Kentucky and Carolina and, and uh, and uh, Kansas and Butler in any program. I, I just don't know that it's it makes sense to overreact to things that have happened this year. Last thing, and we'll wrap up here. Is there any chance Butler goes on a run, wins the uh, the Big East tournament, and uh, makes the NCAA tournament, or do you think this is just uh, a, a lost year? I I think it's a lost year. Uh, odds makers make uh, Butler one hundred and fifty to one. And but you know I think in that in that quarterfinal game on which would be a Thursday you know either like the one eight or the two seven game you know I can't really say Butler couldn't win that now if they got to the semifinals would, would they be able to win two more I mean I don't I don't I'm not I don't think Butler's won four straight games all season so I, I think it's it's, uh, it's it'd be the longest of long shots but frankly I I don't know how good the Big East Big Big East is really so you know there may be there may be half a dozen teams that could win the Big East tournament. And, uh, and, and right now, I think you'd have to put Butler among those half dozen. Now, they certainly haven't played all that well away from Hinkle. But, um, and, I mean, it, it would really be, um, uh, I guess, sort of fantasy land to think that they could win 
four straight in New York. But, uh, you know, their depth is decent. And, uh, you know, if they win, you know, the quarterfinal game, you know, is the huge, well, of course, you have to win the first one. But if you, they would be pitted against Creighton and Villanova, could they beat one of those two teams again? I don't think so, but neither can I rule it out. Absolutely. Well, what, uh, what can we check out from you at the Indianapolis Star this week? The wait is finally over. Notfest Roadshow is back. October 13th, Jiffy Lube Live. Featuring Slipknot. With Kill Switch Engage, Fever 333, and Code Orange. Tickets on sale now at LiveNation.com. Part of the Metris Warehouse Concert Series. Well, I'm working on several things really for, for next week, uh, kind of pertaining to Indianapolis and the hosting of the of the NCAA tournament. But I'm, I'm planning a uh, a longest feature on uh, freshman guard Chuck Harris, who uh, who is really doing some historic things for both. I, th- I think he's going to be the first freshman to lead the team in scoring in 41 years, and I, I think I think that's a that's a notable achievement. All right. Well, go check that out. Keep up the great work, David. I greatly appreciate it. Um, and uh, we'll have to talk again soon. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm always up to talk, for talking about Butler basketball. And, and, and next year will probably be more fun than this year because <laughs> I, I really feel distanced from this team mm-hmm. during the pandemic because all, you know, all the interaction is by, by phone or Zoom. So it, it, it's a little weird that way. It is. But hopefully we get back because that does concern me is like, coaches and especially in pro pro sports of just uh, getting kind of normalized the distance between uh, reporters and the team and i wonder if that becomes a a problem yeah in, and I, in college i think it's a huge problem because a lot of really great stories go untold but but college coaches unfortunately are massive control freaks and, yep. and uh, they don't really care, they don't really care about what reporters do <laughs> absolutely um all right david well i greatly appreciate it thank you so much for the time stay safe out there and uh yeah we will talk again soon okay thanks chase thanks for having me on all right we're back on the chase Sounds podcast i am now joined by chris solari of the detroit free press chris good afternoon sir how are you great chase how are you doing man i am pretty good i am pretty good um we have to talk about a team that uh, you spend hours in deep into the night into the night covering and watching and thinking about the michigan state spartans um i want to start here michigan state has always been a tough offensive watch for me. Like that is something that I've just come accustomed to is watching Michigan state basketball is I'm not going to enjoy the offense in this game. Um, they're 86, 86th in Ken Palm this year in offensive efficiency. What, uh, what has been the main problem um, on that end of the floor for the Spartans this year? Well, I think the biggest problem is not having a point guard. Um, and when you go from Cassis Winston, um, that's a tough, that that's a tough, situation as it is because I mean if you watch the offense maybe the last previous year and a half you know in, in the 2019-20 season and then that final four run particularly from January on in that final four run in 2019 uh, they became a much more efficient offense in terms of moving the ball with with Winston and Tillman and, and playing off their court vision and strengths and to lose 
Winston at the point, but also to lose Tillman uh, and the things that he did in terms of setting screens, passing, um, you know, they, they, had, they had their two-man game, but they also set up the guys around them really well, uh, especially with a guy like Aaron Henry as the complimentary guy that, that could do so many things well. Uh, without them, they've struggled. And, you know, Tom Izzo, he, he started the season with Foster Lawyer there. Uh, Lawyer is just physically not built for the Big Ten um, and not for 20 minutes a game in the Big Ten. So that was one challenge. And they tried to move Rocket Watts there, which had been kind of the, the plan all off season. Uh, but he didn't have really with the, the COVID situation over the last summer, didn't have time to fully adjust with his team to kind of learn nuances of running an offense and, and being more of a ball mover rather than uh, a, uh, a feature guard, a feature two guard. Um, so I think that's kind of, gummed up the gears quite a bit. A.J. Hogard was a little bit behind in his development. Um, in the, he had a little knee issue in the preseason, and, and that slowed his development a little bit. So they've just struggled to find consistent ball movement around the perimeter. I do think, though, in the last month, um, Izzo moved, and I actually asked Tom Izzo about this in, in December, uh, the potential for moving Josh Langford to playing more one because they had experimented with it a few years ago out of necessity in a game at Louisville. And it turned out that's really helped the offense having the ball in his hands and Aaron Henry's hands a little bit more. Um, so it, it, Michigan State right now is at its best with those two guys kind of running the show and playing more or less positionless basketball. Uh, but you're right, it is a tough watch, especially when you get watched in a game. The ball just seems to slow up and doesn't have the same flow um, in the half court that, that you saw with Winston and Tillman. They're ninth in the Big Ten this year. Seems bad. Just doing some advanced analytics numbers searching. Ninth is not, not, not where you want to be, I think, for Tom Izzo. I think he's probably not the happiest about that. Um, you outlined the point guard situation here. Is there a bigger problem at play, and do you think Michigan State might have, with Michigan just becoming the powerhouse that it is, that Illinois just beating down Michigan last night and where they are with Underwood, do you think about where Michigan State's going and just the newfound competition that they have at the top of the Big Ten and that Izzo and company should be concerned about it? Uh, yes and no. I, I do think when you look at what they've got coming in next year, I mean, the focus is on the the perimeter and Max. I think I think that trio of Jaden Akins, Max Christie, and Pierre Brooks are, are going to be a really dynamic backcourt mm. um, and, and give them some depth uh, starting next year. Um, you know, you you lose Langford, and more than likely you're going to lose Henry to the pros. Um, so I think those three guys come in. Uh, at least I think Akins will probably jump right to the head of the line and, and become the starter at point guard. might take him a little bit. It did take Cassius Winston basically a year and a half to, to kind of assume that starting point guard role when he was a freshman and sophomore. Um, so it, And Izzo puts so much demand on that point guard position. I, I don't think it's, I'm too concerned about that. Um, particularly when you think, and, and everything moves in, in such dramatic fashion. It, it, especially with COVID right now, it seems like a hundred years ago, right? But this is still a team that, that a year ago at this point, everyone was looking at and saying this was going to be a potential national championship team. Um, 
So it, it's it's a regenerative year, I, I think, for them, and particularly on top of those three guards that they bring in, if they somehow manage to get Imani Bates uh, to reclassify and play a year in college, that's another. That's a whole other story. Um, so I don't I don't think I'd be too concerned, but I think I do think Jawan Howard's done a fantastic job. Um, you know, with, with recruiting and with coaching, I think you know, having Phil Martelli there has really helped them kind of develop. It helped the, Jawan develop into a, a better college coach. I think he's kind of a sponge with what Martelli's done. Um, and, and I do think that, you know, you think of a lot of the, the better guys in the Big Ten that are going to probably be going. I mean, Io will probably go. You, you can't, I don't see anything more for Coburn. Garz is gone next year. So I, I do think there will be, the competition this year in the Big Ten has been insane, and I think all uh, from everyone down. I mean, you know, Rutgers has has so many good guys with Harper and Baker is going to be gone now. Um, you know, after this year, more than likely. You know, I mean, it's hard to tell with the the freebie year for some of these seniors if they do come back. But but I, I think that I think Michigan State's in a good position. I do think that. You know, Tom Izzo talked about this last night in previewing a little bit of the Michigan game. You know, when, when John Beeline came in, it became a rivalry. I mean, there, there were stretches at the beginning of Izzo's career where, where they were getting beaten like a drum uh, with Steve Fisher's team. And then Izzo kind of seized that mantle and, and really in the late 90s, early 2000s, built his program to what it is now. Um, he's had some dip years kind of like this over over time where – you know, you, you you wonder if are they going to make the NCAA tournament? And they always seem to rebound and then push to another Final Four level a year or two later. So I'm not too concerned about the long term effects of this, especially knowing what's on the horizon recruiting wise. Um, but for this year, there's no question that Michigan is the the beast in the Big Ten, and you know it, it it's you know where Michigan State's at in terms of trying to get to an NCAA bid. Um, you know, you beat Michigan once in these last two games. I think you've put yourself in. I mean, I think you're pretty close to being in right now as it is. Um, then Joe maybe Linardi, you are. But. I don't know if you saw, he put up his newest, um, uh, just kind of, I don't even know what to call this, grouping um, for the the big dance on ESPN.com. And he has the Spartans on the last, one of the last four in and has them on the right side of the bubble as it stands right now. Yeah, I was going to say there's a lot of basketball between now and, and the end of next week when when the the – Tournaments are all done, and they reveal the field. So, you know, there's going to be so there's still going to be a lot of jockeying, I think. And there's the other caveat that no one really knows exactly what this year's committee is going to be looking at, and and how they're going to be examining teams that that like Michigan State during the middle of the season had COVID issues. Um, they're they're going to have to try and examine the the limited non-conference schedules and and some of the teams i mean you know what michigan state did in the first six games of the season and going and getting up to number four in, in the country i mean there's no small feat they they just demolished notre dame and then they go on the road and win at duke um and, and look every bit as efficient in those early games as they did at the end of last year at times uh but i think we also quickly found out that notre dame and duke aren't quite at the same level as they, they had been in previous years. So, you know, that's uh, that certainly hurts their card. It's going to be an interesting selection process. And, I, I, you know, the one thing that I think that also has to be kept in mind with this selection committee, and I don't know how it will end up being, but, but I, I do think that, and they might not say it, but eyeballs are important. 
eyeballs are going to be important after not having a tournament last year. And I would think that any and every way you can get the best brands in the tournament, if, if they're on the bubbles, I think they're going to try and get them in. Interesting. Um, how would you raid Tom Izzo's job performance this season? You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think back, you know, this actually to me started about five years ago when they, they had that great team with Denzel Valentine and Bryn Forbes and they, they came out looking like a potential one seed and they got bumped down to a two seed and losing in the worst, probably the biggest NCAA upset to middle Tennessee state in the first round. Uh, that, that might've been one of Izzo's best teams and they just landed into a buzzsaw shooting night uh, from, from an opponent and they struggled against the arc there. But I think he's from that point, he's had to constantly reinvent himself um, and, and really adapt to the modern game and get away from the sets and, and get more in terms of flow on the offensive side. Uh, you know, you, you saw it a little bit of the adaptations with, with Miles Bridges and Jaron Jackson back in, I think, 2017 or 2018 when they were there. And then in, in 2019, when they made that Final Four run, um, Josh Langford gets hurt, and Nick Ward gets hurt in the middle of that season, and all of a sudden he's got to play Cassius Winston 35, 40 minutes a game. And that, it, that's run countercurrent to Izzo's history, right? Well, you, now, for since then, 2019, 2018, 2019, you're seeing him do that more. I mean, you're seeing that stretch right now with in the middle of the season moving Langford to point guard and getting Henry at the ball and going without a traditional point guard. You're seeing him adapt uh, his bigs and, and not sticking with one guy and just rotating, rotating, rotating to try and get the maximum amount out of each of those guys in situational settings. Um, you know, it, 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 and you can't discount all the other things that, that have gone on with COVID and I mean, him, he also had it this season. And, you know, his assistant coach, Dwayne Stevens, lost his father in April um, to COVID. You know, he's had, I think, 13 of the 15 players on the rosters have had, have had COVID. And I think it, I think six or seven of them during the season, you know, that shut them down for 20 days. So to, to get to that point where they were after losing at Purdue, I mean, I don't think anybody around here thought this team had it in them with the schedule ahead. And what do they do? They, they, they change the lineup mid game after falling behind by 13 at Indiana and come back and win there. Uh, they, they upset Illinois, they upset Ohio state, and then they beat Indiana again the other night. So it, it's, you know, it is an interesting and fascinating thing to watch a hall of fame coach have to constantly adjust and adapt. And I don't think that'll ever get the, they kind of play and, and buzz because so many people will just look at end results and say, oh, well, you know, like a guy like Matt Painter or Jawan Howard, you know, they're, they're pushing towards 20 wins this season. You're like, they, you know, that's, they, they could be coach of the year, but with what Izzo had and where they're at now in the last two and a half weeks to, to get back onto that bubble and maybe into the tournament is a, a, an amazing to me coaching job that, you know, the best coaches will change and adapt to their needs in the moment. And 
sometimes it takes Uzo kicking and screaming to do it. I'm still waiting for him to play some zone defense, which I don't think will ever happen. But who knows? If if, if you want to throw a curveball at someone, work on his quick zone and, and and throw them completely out of sorts, right? You know. Um, but I, I I think that he's he's done a pretty good job this year. You know, maybe not as good as as that final four year in 2019, but. You know, he also doesn't have a Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman there right now. He's got an Aaron Henry, and he's he's riding Aaron Henry into the ground right now, and Aaron Henry's producing. Um, what happened in the IU game? You did a deep dive. What uh, went right, and do you think this is uh, – did you find anything that's sustainable as they look to Michigan? You know, I think the biggest thing to take out of that game is what they did – defensively on Trace Jackson Davis. I mean, they gave up 34 to him in the first game at, at Bloomington. And they were digging in, in the post a lot more on this one. I, I thought Marcus Bingham used his length to effectiveness um, and, and made Jackson Davis alter his shot and his angles that he was trying to take. I mean, it like there was one point, um, I think Bingham had blocked his shot twice and then uh, – Jackson Davis went into the post and went up against him again and just cocked his arm about 45 degrees to the left just to try and get around it and basically just smacked it off the backboard. Um, you know, I think that was partly one of the things that, you know, you've seen them, they, they've done fairly well against those bigs, um, you know, with, 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 with Jackson Davis in this game. Uh, I think they had a decent game against Garza. Um, decent game against Coburn. You know he was kind of a bull in a china shop at times. Um, they rotated, 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 and used almost every foul available uh, to their bigs. And that's, you know, that's that's a, a heck of a strategy there. I mean, if you just you take them out of the offensive equation and just say you need to stop these guys um, and, and get four different guys giving them different looks. I think, you know, that's one of the things to me that I think was was very noticeable in the Indiana game is the job that they did. I thought Gabe Brown and Josh Langford and and Henry were were making it difficult when Jackson Davis would catch it in the paint uh, by by doubling and and running at him at different angles. I think that uh, from an offensive standpoint, it was ugly. I mean, it was ugly on both sides uh, early in the game, but I think it was. I think the last eleven minutes, Izzo went to Langford running the point. Uh, Rocket Watson and AJ Hogar didn't play down the stretch at all, and he went with that. That you know, you, you can call it sometimes a smaller line. It's probably a little bigger when you go with a six-five point guard um, in in Langford, and he wasn't trying to necessarily uh, be that passing guard. He was trying to be a, a fluidity guard. And getting guys, getting the team in and out of sets and moving the ball around the perimeter, you saw them making extra passes. Um, I think that helped. I think the other thing that helped was Aaron Henry got out in, in the final maybe 14 minutes of that game and started getting that team running because um, they were so sluggish in the first maybe, you know, 30 minutes, 35 minutes of that game. And, and I think that that to me, those three things were the reason that they were able to come back against Indiana because I thought Indiana played really hard. Not, neither team made many shots early and they were turning the ball over and there were so many fouls. But, but once Michigan State got out and ran and transitioned a little bit and, and with the job they were doing defensively, I, I think those are the three keys that really kind of got them over the hump in that game. Oh, yeah, and that whole 12 points in a row by Aaron Henry, too, down the stretch. I mean, that, that doesn't hurt when you have a guy that 
makes a change. And I think we talk about Tom Izzo's coaching job, the ability to get Aaron Henry, who's been a team first kind of facilitator, you know, a guy who would take that two step jump into the paint and look to kick out or create for someone else. Now he's, he's looking for his. And that's changed, that's changed him dramatically because Aaron Henry is in, in the last seven or eight games has developed into the go to guy that everyone thought that he could become. I mean, you know, that he thought that, that he needed to become. You know, after pulling his name out of the draft last year, I think that he's done a good job uh, of really playing out of character and and developing into that kind of go-to guy. I don't know if there's down the stretch, um, you know, with, especially with Io out after uh, Sissoko broke his nose. Um, I don't know if anybody, any guard in the Big Ten has been playing at the kind of level that Aaron Henry's been playing at with so many things that he does well in terms of now scoring so much, but also still facilitating guys and, and even more so attacking the glass. Um, you know, he's, he's done a tremendous job of elevating his game when Michigan State needed it most. So it sounds like Henry has been the unsung hero for Michigan State this year. Is there one player in particular that you think has kind of underperformed and you did not see this kind of coming before the season? Boy, the two, uh, there's two guys. And I think everyone kind of anointed Rocket Watts and Joey Hauser as being plug-and-play guys with Winston and Tillman gone. And Watts, that transition to point guard, has been a mess um, in a lot of different ways. I think that it, the offense looks lost. He looks lost in running it at times. There are moments where you see him being kind of that lead one guard, maybe like a Keith Appling or uh, Kalen Lucas in Michigan State's past who looks to score, but then you know also will, will go north and south and create for, for guys outside. But there's more times than not where he has trouble getting in and out of sets. There's more times than not where he's in the middle of a play just floating on the wing and just calling for the ball rather than moving and making things happen. Um, that's, I think, been probably the the biggest disappointment. And Hauser, mm-hmm. I think, has, has uh, Hauser, you know, everybody kind of thought, you know, this guy could come in and, and Izzo, to his detriment, really, in this, it, it sold him as a guy that maybe is his best passer, um, passing big man that he's ever had. I mean, all these things that these platitudes that he gave before the season, we haven't seen. Hauser's been uh, a defensive liability. Uh, guys have been, I mean, so is Watts. I mean, you know, you put the two of those guys in the court and you're seeing blow by layups. Um, but Hauser gets blown around a lot. Um, I, I think from an offensive standpoint, he's been mercurial. I think that, you know, the, the, the late surge, I think, kind of coincides with his ability to get some buckets. Um, you know, that's, that's helped them get some complimentary scoring, but we're not seeing the guy who, who put up 27 on Wisconsin on a nightly basis. And, you know, he, he had, he has the talent. I, I think there's no question he has the talent, but, you know, sometimes you see when a guy gets lost on the defensive end, it affects his offense. And both two of those guys, I think that's been their biggest struggle is the, the, the struggles that they have on defense are carrying over to their offense. And, if they need, if they want to make a run at the Big Ten tournament and really solidify an NCAA berth, and then whatever happens after that, um, those two guys need to take that next step to being the guys that they were and at Duke and, and against Notre Dame. Because, I mean, the 39 minutes a game from Aaron Henry and 36 minutes a game from Josh Langford on bad feet and legs um, can only go so far. Um, this stretch. 
uh, they've played 11 games in the last five days, and this will, you know, playing Michigan on Thursday will be their second, basically, NCAA tournament weekend prep, you know, where they go game, off day, game. Uh, you know, those two guys in particular are going to need to really step up if they want to have a chance against Michigan here and, and solidify that tournament bid. Last thing, and we'll wrap up here, Chris. Um, what do you what do you think's coming in the Michigan game? Do you think it's not good that Michigan just got blown out by Illinois uh, before this game, or what do you what do you think, and what are what are you looking for in Michigan, Michigan State this week? Boy, it's a really hard one to pick because I think Michigan State. Uh, what we saw in that Indiana game was was kind of the the animal backed in the corner. Um, you know, they knew that that was a game they couldn't lose. And, you know, from a mental and physical standpoint with the basketball that they've played, both both the amount of minutes that those guys have played and also the the, the high level of competition um, the last two weeks, coupled on top of that with the, the must-need win, you know, those that physically and mentally can take a lot out of a team. So I don't know what to expect from Michigan State. Um, that said, you know, Michigan right now, um, you know, they could win this game in a close one. They could win this game in an absolute blowout. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, a lot of Michigan fans, and I think a lot of Michigan State fans point back to the, it was 119 to 57 or whatever it was in 2000 season that, that Izzo's team beat Michigan. Um, and, you know, that was the, senior night for Mateen Cleves and Morris Peterson and you know it's still revered as is one of the, the best moments on the Michigan State side of that rivalry and the worst side of the Michigan uh, rivalry um, though, I don't think those are forgotten so I don't think I, I don't see I, if they have a chance to do that I, I wouldn't be shocked to see Michigan do that that said you know Izzo usually gets his teams mentally up for these these rivalry games um, they're there have been some big losses uh, against Beeline, and there's been some recovery games where they win big and win close. So I, it, the, that old cliche of throwing things, the, everything out when it comes to the rivalry, uh, I think comes into play here. Uh, I hate to, to rely on that cliche, but um, you know, if Michigan State can can do what they did to Jackson Davis and and, and limit. Hunter Dickinson, like they did against, uh, like they did against uh, at times uh, at Iowa, I think with Garza. Um, you know, they're they're, they're going to have their hands full, um, and I, I I think that Michigan's going to win this game, and you know maybe you know close to double digits or you know right around there. Um, Michigan State needs a break. And, you know, the second game, I think, of the weekend, will, to me, would be the, the one where how Tom Izzo adjusts things um, will, will be kind of the interesting one. But, you know, the Thursday game, I think, you know, that that's going to be, but hey, you know what, where's Michigan's head at right now, too, right? I mean, you know, they lost to a, an Illinois team that didn't have Dosunmu, and they lost handily, so... And, and you know that's that's going to be fascinating to watch. Um, you know, I'm sure Mo Wagner's getting in his brother's ear a little bit to kind of tell him what it's like to beat Michigan State and throw up the dollar signs to to the 
fans, even though there might not be any in the stands. But, um, you know, this game means a lot to these programs. And, you know, Izzo and Beeline really made this into one of the best college basketball rivalries that, you know, outside of maybe Duke and North Carolina and UCLA and Arizona. You know, you, you, this is one of the ones that people talk about. and It's going to be two fascinating watches to see what happens. All right. Chris, what can we check out from you this week at the Detroit Free Press? A lot of Michigan and Michigan State coverage. Um, you know, that's going to be kind of the, the, the crux of the week here. We've got uh, a lot of coverage coming, uh, previewing Thursday's game, and then we'll have stuff coming on Sunday to, to preview the regular season finale and senior day at Michigan State. And, uh, I'll probably be writing off Joshua Langford and what's probably going to be his final game as a Michigan State player after some pretty hard times over his life and his college career so those are the kind of things to keep a watch for at freep.com all right keep up the great work chris thank you so much for making the time today i greatly appreciate it you got it take care man nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah Having your own home is awesome, but it's also a lot of work. The good news? Finding help for your projects is easier than ever. Introducing Angie, the app that puts all your home care needs at your fingertips. Need a pro to fix that emergency leak? Maybe find someone to build a deck or even set your seasonal tasks on autopilot. Angie can handle all that and more. Expert pros, hundreds of home projects, clear pricing, and the easiest way to book and pay in seconds. This is Angie, your home for everything home. Download the app today.